I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm just already just, you know, scared out of my mind. My legs were shaking, which is not a good evolutionary trait. <laughs> you know, if I had to run away, I wouldn't have been able to. The legs just went. It was so weird. And there was, it was clear people were angry. A few years ago, Andrew Gold was working as a freelance journalist. And he was trying to find a way to make himself indispensable to commissioning editors. Now, some journalists might try to become experts in data analysis, scraping, court reporting... But not Andrew. I was obsessed with learning languages. I thought that was the way to become like, that was going to be the next thing that people were going to need to be able to speak languages because we had all these documentaries with presenters and stuff where they were having like translators and it was all a bit sticky and awkward. So I thought, okay, I'm going to learn all these languages. Maybe this is what would set him apart from the rest, he thought. Because I think there were so many people who want to be documentary makers, presenters, journalists like this. It felt like our parents' generation. You could be like, hey, I want to be a freelance journalist. Give me loads of money. And they were like, here's £10,000 for an article that's 100 words. And nowadays, it's just, it's insane. He had learnt French during a year abroad at university. And then later moved to Colombia, where he learnt Spanish. From there, he moved to Argentina. All the while doing projects here and there for the likes of HBO or Fusion. But he didn't feel yet like he had cracked it. And Andrew knew just what kind of journalism he wanted to do. And just who he wanted to emulate. They loved Louis Theroux. You see, before his big move, and fresh off his NCTJ course, he got a job at The Sun. And he kept suggesting to the editor there that he make short videos for their website. And he was like, no, we don't need that. Uh, So I was like, well... I might just do it. And he was like, no, we really don't need that. And I was like, no, but I'll just do it. So I got like the camera team from the sun and I did some terrible videos. Awful. I was 21 or something, 22. So I was just like, I'm doing this stuff. Awful stuff that I don't, I'm just too ashamed to even talk about really. But like, that was how it started. And I got out to Argentina and I was like hungry for more and to get into it and to learn how to make documentaries myself and to edit and everything. So out in Argentina, Andrew started to seek out strange, quirky stories. Louis Theroux style. He made short documentaries about things like UFOs. It was all very 90s Theroux kind of stuff because that's where I wanted to start with. And the, the trick, the difficulty for people who want to do those kinds of documentaries at the time was like, it was a little bit, I don't know if you ever saw, there was this famous South Park episode called The Simpsons Did It. It was like every time they tried to come up with a good idea, it was like Simpsons did it. So it was like, okay, I'm going to do UFOs now. And it's like, uh, Theroux did it. I'm going to do... Porn. I looked into the porn industry. Theroux did it. 
Then, one morning, Andrew was flicking through the talk shows on Argentine TV when he came across something. The strangest story he'd heard yet. I'm Maeve McLennigan. This is The Tip-Off. What Andrew had spotted while flicking through daytime TV was a strange story of a priest who claimed he was performing exorcisms. He was being taken very seriously, very at his word, and he was just sort of, he looked very sanctimonious. He was just like, so remember everyone, uh, it's going to be October the 30th in a few days, it's Halloween, and uh, you've got to look out for vampires, and uh, try using this oil on your food for the next few days, because that will do it. And like, all this stuff, and everyone's just like, okay and i was waiting for like the joke i was waiting for someone to be like oh who's this guy and i kept seeing him for weeks after that tv radio his own social media i was just looking him up and i was like this is amazing and what was so amazing about him as well was that he was so blatant in his in my opinion in his media game because it was like uh, he would superimpose photos of himself into like the film the exorcist um, and things like that and he would play the music from The Exorcist at his masses. So I was just like, wow, this is the most flamboyant, eccentric, crazy person. And everybody's just looking at him like he's not, am I going mad? Andrew was excited. This could be the subject he'd been looking for. He knew he wanted to make a documentary about this guy, but to do that, he would need to track this priest down and convince him to go for it. Andrew had returned to the UK for a while. And while he was there, he started to have conversations with a commissioning editor at the BBC. She was interested in his ideas, but was non-committal. It can be hard to get editors properly interested in stories that aren't UK-based. It was all very like, oh, maybe this, maybe that, probably not, as, as it tends to be. So she said, can you guarantee you can get him and all this? So I said, let me just sort it out. So I sent him an email. This was massive for me. This was like my big chance, you know, it's my big break. And I've got something that maybe other people don't have. And I've got the language and I've got all this. I, I needed him to do it. So I emailed him and I said, hi, you know, introduce myself. I'm Andrew Gold and I work with the BBC, which was a bit of a, a push, you know. And it was all in, all in Spanish. Well, the BBC, I've, I'm interested in your work and I would love to make a documentary with you. Andrew was a little cheeky. He wrote that he was a freelancer and was talking to the BBC. No promises, but a big enough name drop to get noticed. So that was it, email sent. But if this priest didn't reply, then it was game over. And Andrew would have to tell the BBC editors he couldn't provide the goods. It was a nerve wracking wait. But finally, he replied in a very sort of holy, respectful way. He very holy, you know, blessed thou day, all this stuff in Spanish, or old-fashioned Spanish. And it would be an absolute pleasure to welcome such an esteemed whatever, whatever. So that was like, okay, wow, okay, we've got this. But the joy was short-lived. I went back to the BBC, they spoke about it, and they just said no, because... Uh, they always say no to everyone. <laughs> like 99.9% of people get a no. Argentina, not interested. Who is this exorcist? Exorcism's been done, maybe. And that was that. So I went back to Argentina 
And I thought, I've got to just make this anyway. I've just got to find a way to do it. Determined to proceed anyway, Andrew found himself a director, a guy called David, who could shoot film. And together they decided to push on, to make the documentary and then sell it afterwards. And then there was nothing else to do but go out and meet this man, the priest who claimed he was exercising demons. His church is out in like the impoverished suburbs of Buenos Aires. It's a world away. It's half an hour by train or whatever, but it's a world away in terms of culture and what it looks like and architecture and stuff. It's basically like very basic housing and it's what they call out there Las Bichas, which, which is basically the slums. It was my first time sort of venturing out from like the high-rise apartments and modern skyline of Buenos Aires and going out into like, oh, wow, where am I? The other thing is, I, and I guess a lot of journalists will relate to this, when you don't have a company behind you, you don't have the BBC or any production company, you're just doing this on your own and sort of faking it, you know. It was scary. It was scary as hell. It was like, what the hell? What am I doing? But exciting as well, because I'm going to meet an exorcist. My girlfriend was like, what are you doing today? I'm going to meet an exorcist. Why not? So I'm on the train and I'm going out there and it's like the sunset sort of time, dusk, and then getting out of the station and it's like, oh, wow, this is scary. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be like coming with David later if he if he does come out and do this because we're going to have all this expensive equipment. It's it's an area with a lot of uh, you know theft and and crimes and stuff. And it's a scary place to be when you don't know anyone there. I found his uh, his church. It was just this little church thing. And there were a few people hovering around outside and I was a bit scared and I was sort of, oh God, going in. And it's always a little bit harder when it's not your first language and nobody there speaks any English. It's not the kind of place where anybody speaks a word of English. And I'm just going around saying, you know, is, is Padre Manuel here? I, I think he, he knows I'm coming and all of this. And I met him and he's just like unbelievably personable and charismatic and like, hello, hello, like, he had all the time in the world for me because I was, as far as he knew, I was the BBC coming to interview his, him about his amazing work. It was scary and weird and uh, really crazy. I did a couple of times sort of say like, just so you know, we're, we're not the BBC, but we hope it will eventually be on the BBC. There Andrew was, in the outskirts of Buenos Aires, in this church hall that was getting more and more packed by the minute. It's nighttime and there are probably 5,000 people inside his hall. And then there's like a garage door almost at the back of the hall. And it's like people opening up out onto the streets. He watched as this man, Padre Manuel, the self-proclaimed exorcist, performed mass, holding the congregation in his sway. After the mass was over, Andrew managed to grab a minute with the Padre and started to work his magic. You know, I was on a charm offensive with the exorcist, so he was loving it. I said, can we, can we come back? He said to me, go and organize it with Paula. Paula is the, you know, secretary or the assistant or something like that. So when I spoke to her and we organized it a bit more by email and David came out. And again, we had no budget, of course. So David had a camera. We borrowed lenses from a friend. We borrowed, pretty much borrowed everything we needed. Andrew kept in contact with the church and soon they told him they would be performing another exorcism and he was welcome to come along. So Andrew found himself making his way back out to the church, this time with his cameraman, director, David, and David's partner, who was working the audio for them. 
There at the church hall, they heard that the priest was about to see a woman called Natalia. Andrew managed to speak to Natalia before the event took place. She basically described what seemed to me like some form of intrusive thoughts, but she was told by the padre, the priest, the exorcist, that it was a demon. Natalia was brought inside and told to lie down on the floor. Then Padre Manuel started up, chanting and shouting, pressing a crucifix into her body. At first, Natalia is silent, but the noise grows, the shouting intensifies, and in the end, she too is screaming out. At first, Andrew watched from the side, stunned, but then the priest beckoned him over. You see, before everything had started, Andrew had asked if he could take part. Because we wanted this, I guess, the Louis Theroux thing, despite trying to move away from him, there was also this thing of like, everyone loves how he gets involved. He always does the thing. If he's, if he's seeing swingers, he gets naked and gets involved in the whole thing. That's the whole fun. So I said, can I take part in the exorcism? That was once I was there. I said to him just beforehand, like, is there anything I can do? That's how we usually do it. As if I'd made loads of these documentaries, you know, we usually do it that way. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. I thought he'd say no, because this is such a serious thing for him. He, you know, as far as he's concerned, the doors, of, the, do the doors of hell are about to open up and he's letting some bloke, some dorky bloke from England partake in it. On film, you see Andrew jangle the bells half-heartedly. The screaming woman on the floor carries on. Before that, I, I just looked at the whole thing like a bit of a wry, again, 90s documentary where we're sort of making fun of them and stuff. Seeing her on the floor like that and being that close to what seemed to me like a, a mental breakdown, that was, that was really a moment of like, I sh this is inappropriate that I'm holding these bells. This is really inappropriate that I'm making fun of this. This is a really serious thing. This could cause, you know, suicide, mental health problems and all that kind of thing. So that was a really shocking moment for me. Andrew was rattled, but he knew he needed to keep talking to the Padre, to keep communication open. But it was a fine line he had to tread. He wanted to keep his access open, so he wasn't ready to challenge the Padre just yet. The more you mention TV, BBC, England, exposure, all he thought was that we're going to make him look amazing. So it was, I, my questioning was that old thing that I guess it's a very British style, and it's actually quite horrible looking back but it's, it's, it's what Theroux used to do. He doesn't so much anymore. It's what Sasha Baron Cohen does. It's that thing of asking questions to make somebody else look silly and that they take you seriously. It's actually quite mean, but I was doing that and I, I maybe wouldn't do it that way now, but I was saying, so how many vampires have you seen this week? And he's like, well, seven vampires actually. I'm like, oh, right, okay. Knowing that people watching at home or you know, if this documentary ever got made would realize he's, he looks ridiculous. But he never, never crossed his mind at that point. So he kept talking, kept telling Andrew about his work in the church, the exorcisms he was holding. And he invited him to come along to another one, this time a young woman called Candela. She was 17. She had cuts all up her wrist. She was suicidal, bulimic. Again, Andrew watched, horrified. <laughs> It 
It was clear that this priest was serious about performing these rituals. But the more time he spent at the church, the more Andrew noticed something else. A strange relationship that a priest had with a woman called Paula. She was like his personal assistant and was always by the priest's side. Then Andrew realised where he knew her from. Years ago, Padre Manuel had performed an exorcism on Paula. She was then called Laura. The video had been put on YouTube and had gone viral. She had had all sorts of, you know, schizophrenia and that kind of thing. And she was now doing much better and was by his side all the time. At first we were shocked and amazed. And then we started thinking, but this isn't right. She was like, I guess, not underage as far as we know, but she was like 19 or 20 and he's 50 or something. She's being taken by him. She had been in a psychiatric ward. And now she's just like living in his house. Where are her parents? Where's her life? Where are her friends and family? She, she was, as far as we could tell, living in the church with him. And Andrew was curious about something else. Was the priest making money out of all of this? He'd spotted a shop at the side of the church, which was selling trinkets and cures, like bottles of oil, which were being sold for a high price. They were like olive oil or probably sunflower oil, cheaper, you know, and charging like 15 quid for a tiny, tiny little bottle of it. So he started asking around, trying to work out if this was a money-making scheme. We were always aware, as you will be with, I think, with any of those kinds of stories, the first thing you're thinking is money. What's happening with money? And whenever I asked him, in a very innocent way, just like, okay, so and how much do the exorcisms cost usually? And he always said, free. Free, free, free. He was very media trained. They had a whole huge media team and a huge like presence on social media, constantly putting out all this material. So he knew not to say to a British presenter or whatever that he was charging any money. He knew also to say, we never stop people getting medical help. We just tell them that we're offering an alternative and they can also do, med- you know, they can do both if they want. So he said all the right things. But it wasn't, it wasn't the money from the exorcism. It was that, that that family then felt a little bit obliged to donate afterwards what would be for them a lot of money. They'd been filming for six weeks or so now, and Andrew was out filming again at another mass. This was one of the last nights with the exorcist. The plan was to see this huge big mass he was about to have with potentially tens of thousands of people. Police had cordoned off the streets. It was this massive mass and we turned up like, okay, we're going to do this. And then maybe next week we'll meet the exorcist and have our finale. That was, the finale was going to be later and it was going to be sitting with him and just, ha- just holding him to account for a few things. We wanted to have that as the finale and we were never given that opportunity. More after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget? Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So Andrew is out at another of Padre Manuel's masses. The church hall is heaving with people, and Andrew is milling around, waiting for the mass to start. He got speaking to an Argentine journalist, a tabloid journal called Marco Bustamante. Marco had been following the work of Padre Manuel for years, and so Andrew got him on camera and asked him some questions. They spoke about how the priest was planning a huge exorcism, trying to do a hundred people or so at once. Andrew was amused. But I'm also thinking, God, that's a hundred people who are mentally ill, like lying around on the floor and screaming in a church. I mean, it's quite an image. That's what he wanted to do. We, we had like a really nice chat, completely fine, I, I was past the snarky making fun of people at this stage. So I was just asking him, okay, so you're going to have a multiple exorcism. That's nice. And tell me a little bit about the priest and about this and that. And that was it. The interview done, Andrew started to wander around the venue, taking in the throngs of people who were showing up for the mass. He wasn't too hopeful about getting to talk to Padre Manuel. The priest had been avoiding him recently and had seemed to cool off the whole documentary idea which made it all the more surprising when Andrew was called over by one of his aides. We're waiting for the mass to start, and then Paola sort of comes out from behind a curtain and says, you know, Andrew, Benieka, like, come here. So I'm like, David, David, because David was, like, filming the crowds and stuff that were gathering, you know, and I'm like, David, David, Padre wants to talk to us, apparently. And it was like, oh, yes, okay. And it's it's a moment I'm thinking again, okay, because I had no idea he was going to talk to us. He'd been avoiding us for so long. I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to ask about? Am I going to push him now? Is this going to be the final confrontation? Maybe not. Maybe just ask about the mass tonight and what was going to happen and all this stuff. I don't know. We start walking towards him. He's with like a bunch of people and he just says, Andrea, yeah, come in this, in this room. And not you guys, to, to David. My excitement immediately turned to dread. I'm quite a scared, easily scared person anyway. I'm not as intrepid as a journalist should be for these kinds of things. And he, yeah, he put me in this little room and there were maybe four or five of his cronies, like some big guys. There's one particular guy who had earlier done a spell on me that hadn't worked. And he had like a big staff, like Jafar from Aladdin. And he was really, really scary. And then there was also Marco Bustamante and they're the journalist. And there was uh, a couple of women in there as well. There was Paula, of course, as well. And... I'm just already just, you know, scared out of my mind. My legs were shaking, which is not a good evolutionary trait. <laughs> you know, if I had to run away, I wouldn't have been able to. The legs just went. It was so weird. And there was, it was clear people were angry. 
What was going on? Andrew was petrified. My first thought was, they've realised I'm making fun of them. That was what it was. It didn't cross my mind. It was anything else. And then the the, the padre looked at me and he very, he was like a, because I think he does this on purpose. He was a bit like a godfather figure. So he was like the calm amid the storm, you know? And he just looked at me very slow. And he said, tell me this. What have you been uh, asking people about my relationship with Paula? And then my brain was about to, I was like, oh no. Because that was so scary to me because this is like, oh no, this is the type of thing people who are mental would kill someone for. So I was really scared at that moment because especially he's got 10,000 people outside who would kill for him. We're in the middle of nowhere. It's midnight. Nobody knows where we are. Nobody is responsible for us. We have no insurance, no way of even getting home. It's me, David. You know, I've never had a fight in my life. I really feared for our lives in that moment. And the thing is, for the documentary, we had to shorten it to like a minute or two of me in this room. But I was there for an hour just being absolutely, yeah, ripped apart by them, just screaming and screaming. And at first I was like, I'm just going to be honest. So I was just saying like, well, no, no, of course I asked about your relationship with her because, you know, she had schizophrenia. We even went and met her doctor and everything. And we talked about that. And then you did an exorcism on her. And the amazing thing is she's actually feeling better which is a really interesting thing we learned about exorcism is that it actually works probably temporarily and not for the, not for paranormal reasons. And Marco, this journalist, and I think the exorcist first said, like Marco said, or people have been telling me you've been asking why I kiss Paula on the lips. And that just blew my mind because it was something that was so far from my mind. I had never seen it. I had my suspicions that something was going on and obviously Look, she's not underage, but it's extremely in- inappropriate to be taking a woman out of a psychi- psychiatric ward who's about 19 or 20 years old, who has schizophrenia, telling her she has a demon, doing an exorcism on her, and then having a potentially romantic relationship with her when you're a priest is not right. So, yeah, I was just in this room going, I did not say that. I, I swear to you, I did not say that. Then Andrew had a flash of inspiration. Marco was accusing him about asking inappropriate questions in the filmed interview they had just done. Well, he had the tape. I was like, we've got the footage. We've got the camera. It's in the camera now. You can have a look. I didn't ask that. And the exorcist refused. He was just like, no, no, not looking at that. So he got angry. And that's when I was like, I'm really scared. I don't want to be here anymore. Can I please leave? And he wouldn't let me. Eventually, we sort of trundle out. Out of the priest's office, Andrew was shaken. David, the director, wanted to know what had gone on. He didn't speak Spanish after all, but there was no time to explain. Andrew just wanted to get out of there. It was impossible to get out of the church. It was packed with, like, praying people. So we're trying to squeeze between them. We were squeezing in and out of all these people. You know, backpacks on, cameras, all the equipment. We get outside. It took us about 15 minutes to get out there, scared out of our minds. My leg's still shaking. And then we're like, we don't even know how we're going to get home from this area as well. People are like collapsing around us on the street. It's like a vision of hell at this point. And then David says, oh, I wasn't filming when you were walking out just now. I need to get it again. So I was like, oh my God, no way. He's like, yeah, we've got to go, we've got to go back in. So we, <laughs> we, we did. We went back in and started like squeezing between, excuse me, sorry, oh, perdón, perdón, permiso. Get through to the end, back to where we'd been and then walk out again with David filming me looking all depressed and stuff. Outside of the hall, Andrew is still shaking. 
Now he and his director David were out in the dark, in an unknown neighbourhood, with all this expensive equipment and no clue what to do next. This is not where we want to be at 1am in the morning. I mean, that was a scary part in itself. We eventually found a cab and we said, can we get to Buenos Aires, please? (laughs) You know, just scared. They bundled themselves into the cab. And as they drove away, Andrew's heart rate began to steady itself and he could process what had happened. And then it hit him. Something the priest had never counted on. I was like, I think I had that recorded. It was like my microphone was on. The audio of the whole thing had been caught on their recordings. And we started getting quite excited and thinking, oh my God, that's quite a story. This is a bit of a scoop. So by now, Andrew and David had footage of supposed exorcisms taking place. Interviews with those who'd been part of them and this dramatic confrontation in the church. They started editing a cut together, which was no easy job. We had about 25 hours of stuff. And once they had a passable cut, Andrew started off again, trying to get commissioning editors to take note. Just email after email that I was sending, very few got a reply. Every now and then they did, like, hey, I'm not the right person or whatever. We don't really do stuff about Argentina. That was a long time. Eventually, we started speaking to production companies then, and we came across one called Villager Films, which was a very, very small independent company. It was just three people, Johnny, Matt and Georgia. Lovely, lovely people. And they were like, look, we love the film. We can give it a bit of a makeover. Let us have an edit of it and then we'll take it around. At the same time, I'd sent it off to a bunch of film festivals and it got into a couple of them and it won Best Documentary Film at one called Thin Line in in Texas. And they flew me out, which was just the most amazing experience. Best few days of my life. I never expected it to win. And then it was just this great feeling after all of that, like finally something, because we spent a year and a half trying to get this out so that was like okay so we do have a good film we haven't imagined it and after villager and everything i I went back to like a few of the people i'd already spoken to at the bbc the film got bounced around the bbc until finally it landed in front of the right person and it was taken on so after months of work and years of waiting the film finally saw the light of day they took it and put it on BBC Three, on, on iPlayer and U- their YouTube channel as well. They wanted, they were trying out sort of a big YouTube thing. And it was just, yeah, massive thing for us. It was so exciting. I was, I was sat there with my mum watching it when it came out on, uh, like on YouTube, because you can't see the stats on iPlayer, but you can on YouTube. So we kept refreshing it and just seeing, just the idea that something you've made like that, that people are watching it, is, it was uh, a really nice feeling. But Padre Manuel had not been letting things lie. He had been complaining about Andrew to anyone he could think of. I was getting emails from like a freelance BBC guy in Colombia who has nothing to do with anything. Just being like, I've got this angry exorcist emailing me about you. Can you make him stop, please? (laughs) So he was obviously just like looking around for any Spanish speaking BBC email addresses and just making complaints about how we had defrauded the confidence of the church's trust or something like that. I did try and see him again as well because I thought like, let's try and, you know, uh, make up or whatever. Like, I don't know, just in case it was interesting for the film and he just refused. I sent him a video of the interview, the full interview unedited with Marco Bustamante to to prove we hadn't mentioned any mouth kissing or anything like that. But he just replied always in capital letters, angry religious stuff at us. Still, he was not a person Andrew was worried about. Before the film had come out, he travelled back to Argentina to find Natalia and Candela the women they had filmed taking part in the exorcisms. As a journalist, he had a duty of care to those interviewees. He needed to make sure they were happy with the film coming out. He managed to track both women down. 
both of them are very critical of the priest. Uh, Natalia said that he just stopped replying to her and she kept coming back wanting more exorcisms and the priest eventually was just like, oh, get out of here, you're, you're wasting our time. Whereas Candela was like really against the whole thing and saw him as a bit of a fraud, that's what she said. So I thought, okay, finally, she's going to understand that she needs medical help and stuff. And she was like, but I found a new priest that I'm going to next week for a different kind of exorcism. But she was okay, you know, they were all okay about it. These days, Andrew is in Germany, learning another language and producing his own podcast, On the Edge with Andrew Gold. Meanwhile, in Argentina, the so-called exorcist Padre Manuel keeps on doing his work. Thanks to Andrew for telling that story. That's all from this episode of The Tip-Off. Stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.